This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. Information is current at the time of recording. If you have any health concerns, speak to your doctor. HCF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. HCF acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders past and present. Welcome back to Menopause Matters. Hello, I'm Alison Bray Datto, author of Queen Menopause, a book I wrote because I was so, so confused and confounded when I started going through menopause and no one, I mean no one, seemed to be talking about it. One of the most confronting things was my complete loss of libido. My sex drive virtually disappeared and my marriage of 30 years was barely hanging on. I knew I needed to look for solutions, and this podcast is here to help navigate your way through this next phase. Ladies, if ever there was a time to have your partner listen in on a podcast, it is now. Jacqueline Hellier is a sex and relationship therapist and is joining me today to talk about the effects menopause can have on your relationships and your sex life and how you feel about yourself as a woman. Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us. I have so many questions for you. Firstly, do you think women have gotten any better at talking to their partners about sex? An interesting opening question there. Yes, in a way we're getting more comfortable, but we still struggle to know what it is that we want, mm. what is good sex, what is a life-enhancing sex life? How does our sexuality change over our lives? Very often people sort of think what we do when we're teenagers is the peak. So when you hit different phases of life, like having children or menopause or old age, whatever it is you happen to be hitting, we often really just don't know what to do about that and who to go to because there are so few sex experts in our society still. And we need people like you because I think you it do. is... <laughs> I think it is a challenge. And even when you've been with someone as long as I have been, my reticence to talk about sex really came up because, well, after this many years, you should know what you need and what you want. But we do change and our physical body changes, particularly through perimenopause. Some people hit it more when they're having kids. That's when it really hits them and they breeze through menopause, whereas others, they breeze through children and it doesn't hit them till menopause or even later. Yeah. Right. I mean, I have people coming to me in their 70s going, got to sort this sex thing out. You know, it's our 50th wedding anniversary. Right. So, yeah, like it just kind of hits people at different ages. And yeah. even when I get young people coming to see me and they're often like, oh, we shouldn't be having problems so young. I'm like, well, actually, you're really lucky because now you're actually looking at sex and you're going to learn how to approach your sexuality in a way that will make you adaptable and make the most of every phase of life yeah. from here on in. So teaching them young is a, is a really good thing. And I think that's really brave in a way to be that young and going to see a sex therapist. You know, I think that that's an awesome thing to do. I mean, we should all do it. Yeah. But everyone has got this <laughs> mad idea that sex is supposed to be this kind of natural thing that we just yes. don't talk about. We should be able to mind read each other. And, yes. and it is absolute rubbish. I mean, that idea that you don't talk about sex comes from centuries of sexual suppression. When sex was seen as this rather bad thing, it's a rather unpleasant thing that we do to make babies, but, you know, we don't talk about it. And we've carried that through, even though now there's this proliferation of possibilities and porn and, like, everything's out there. But we still don't talk about it. 
and we're not brought up to talk about it. We get no sex education. We get a tiny bit of reproduction education, but that's easy. You know, that's straightforward. Yeah. Nothing about sex, like what's okay, what's not, how do you negotiate, how do you even know what you want? And we get no relationship training, none, zilch, nada, nothing. And this part of life, our relational life and, you know, how our sexuality fits into that. So I'm really happy to be here and talking to people because it's so important that we talk about it. Yes. Because when we talk about it, when we have the knowledge, then it's not scary. Yeah. And it's, I mean, actually, it's a really beautiful phase of life. It's one of the most important phases of life. And particularly if you can go through it well, on the other side, awesome. You can't get pregnant. You don't have the cycles. Like women in their 50s and 60s and even beyond, like powerful, powerful women. You're fabulous. And as far as, you know, we're starting to open up, say, hopefully about our sex talk, then how then do we talk to our partners about menopause and sex? The menopause has been something that has also been shrouded in taboo and shame. So is there a different way that we need to talk to our husbands about sex during menopause, after menopause, with all the changes that we're going through? Absolutely. Just as you'd be talking about any other part of life. We're going to buy a new house. What shall we do with our investments? What are we going to do about mum and dad now they're getting old? It's just another part of life, right? I always say sex is just a natural part of life, but it can also be a really beautiful part of life. But like anything in life, sometimes it's more challenging than other times. If you're starting to notice that you might be having some symptoms, you're not quite sure what it is, you're on the same team. What's happening here what am I feeling in terms of our intimacy? What am I needing? What about you? Where are you at? Like, it's a dialogue. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be challenging. That was a lot of my experience because I didn't know what was happening to my body. And it was a lot of shame. In my mind, in some ways, it didn't make a lot of sense. But in other ways, it did. You know, how we're raised to be ashamed of aging, where we're raised to be ashamed of our bodies putting on weight. And what if I don't feel like sex? Well, how am I going to keep the relationship alive? And, you know, I feel depressed today or I don't feel like I want to be touched today. And I found all of that was hugely impactful on my relationship. And I really struggled for some time to be able to express how I felt. And again, because perimenopause and the symptoms, it was what on earth really is happening. And is this perimenopause or am I just grouchy with my husband? (laughs) You know, why am I so much angrier with him today than I was yesterday where the sound of his voice is like nails down a chalkboard? Opening up that conversation was really tricky and owning the fact that my libido had gone, I felt really embarrassed about that. How do you counsel women with through that? It's interesting, this word libido. We often talk about sex as though we all know what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> but when you actually get down to it, we don't necessarily know what we're talking about. I mean, what is libido? When you say you lost your libido, what do you actually mean? That desire to have sex. Being spontaneously interested? Yes, that. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. one thing that I've noticed is that women who could get aroused quite quickly, enjoyed sex, tend to struggle more with changes in midlife. Whereas those who always knew that it was something you did with intention and you had more of a responsive arousal, so you did things to get in the mood, right, can often breeze through menopause much more easily. 
But if you're used to having a more spontaneous arousal, like, oh, I'm feeling kind of a bit horny. Hey, doll, you know, let's go. And you're not getting that spontaneous kind of arousal happening anymore. Then you can feel really lost. What do I do? But it all comes down to what is sex? What is libido? When you come down to what is sex all about, it's actually about connection through pleasure. And if you're not thinking that right now, you may well think, well, I don't, I don't want anything. I always say that sex should age like a fine wine. Okay. Mm, okay. I yeah. love that. Yes. Stay with me. <laughs> Young wine is kind of brash. Yep. It's very quaffable. Yeah. You know, not a lot of finesse. You just want to drink it down, right? Yeah. But mature wine, it's complex. It's layered. It's subtle. You want to savor it. You want to take your time with it so you can appreciate it. And this is how our sexuality should be as we age. It's not this frenetic shagging. Look, it can be if that's what you want to do. I'm not saying don't. Sure. We all know how to shag, right? Literally, take your time. Focus on the connection. However you want to connect with your partner. And if you're like hot and getting hot flushes and feeling a bit grumpy, that may not be physically cuddling in bed. Yeah. Maybe you go for a lovely walk by the beach or by some water where it's cool. Maybe if you feel like it, you hold hands, but you look him in the eye and you say lovely things because you can connect through words or through actions. How important is it, and I know this is a rhetorical question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How important is it for our partners to understand menopause, to come to the doctor's appointments if necessary, be involved in what is actually happening physically with our bodies? Well, I'd say it's really important. I mean, it's whatever you want, right? Keep in mind that we're all individuals, (laughs) And our individual experience of this phase of life is going to be unique to us. Yeah. And then when you bring in your partner as well, it's also going to be our unique relationship and you know, do we need to get better at talking about it? Do we need to research what's going on? Do we need to understand what's going on for him as well as for me? Right. To start these conversations going and to do it in a positive way. Yeah. You know, like you might have if you have children, you would have done that when you were pregnant. Like it's incredibly painful. But you know that there's good stuff on the other side. You know, like you're in it together. Yeah. And in a way, this is a similar sort of thing. We're in it together. We're going into a new phase of life. What can we expect on the other side as well? Because if you are one of the women who does have a really tough time of it, to kind of have a sense of what's on the other side is really helpful as well. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a really important part of the conversation that we need to have because if we're just focusing on what some of the awful symptoms can be, and you don't have a sense that it's better on the other side. And a lot of people still think that when you've been through menopause, you never want to have sex again. Your vagina shrinks and, you know, there's all these cobwebs down there or something. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, it's a desert. It's so not true. Yeah. Not if you're making love. In a, and I use the term making love advisedly because that's what it's about. It's about making love, creating a sex-friendly relationship which often means looking at your lifestyle as well. Like You need to have a sex-friendly lifestyle to have a sex-friendly relationship. The only time that men, but also women, start going, when are we going to have sex? Why aren't we having sex? I need sex, is if there's nothing. They're in a desert. So interesting. Yes. Right? Yes. But if you know you're going through a process and you're still there's still loveliness between you. Yeah, if you can let your husband or partner know that there is still the desire and the love there that, that yes. can hold you yes. and bond you just yeah. as much. Yeah. So if for whatever reason you've got all these hot flushes or you're just feeling crap or you're yeah. having really heavy periods and you just don't feel like getting hugely physically intimate right now, yep. that's okay. 
And as women, we need to own it. Yes. We need to feel empowered because even like my husband is so patient. Just in the saying of that, you're sort of putting him a bit on a pedestal that he's okay and you're a faulty one. Yes, that's and how that I he felt. is long suffering because there's something wrong with <laughs> Absolutely. you. Absolutely, I'm, yeah? I'm a broken person yes. because my yes. sex my sex desire has gone down. So therefore, there is something wrong with yes. me. Yes, yeah. And what a good man that he's putting up yes. with a broken partner. Yes, you know, right? So much of our languaging represents this, and so many women are still responsive to their partner's sexuality. So many women kind of respond to what's coming to them. And if you can't deal with what's coming towards you, oh, there's something wrong with me. I've put him on a pedestal. His sexuality is normal. And if I'm not that, there's something wrong with me. Well, how do we sexually empower women? I know that that's part of your job. <laughs> yeah. How do we turn this, this around for many of us? We really need to start looking at what's our belief system around sex? What are the messages we got? Because chances are they're not good and chances are they're false. But a lot of what it is is to throw away all your beliefs around sex and start over because it is about loving life. It is about love making. It is about cultivating this really gorgeous Life force, the libido, like cultivating your libido by being engaged with life, by knowing who you are and expressing yourself and living a good life and having a good relationship where you're in touch with each other and you're cultivating connection and love and intimacy and, yeah, sure, sexuality, you know, cre- creating spaces for sexuality as well. You start learning other ways of connecting that don't have to have intercourse as part of it. If you're taking time to just fall into this lovely reverie, you know, just you and me, darling, we're playing nice music and we know we're not going to be interrupted by children or babies because that time is long past and we may well have savoured a very nice bottle of wine. We're in a really beautiful space and you're getting more and more sort of love drunk. Now, when you're in that love drunk space, A, you're more likely your vagina will lubricate and do those things it's always done, right, regardless of estrogen levels. It still does that. And welcome it in at a pace that works for you. You're in charge. Like, ladies, you're in charge. If he's coming into your body, you're in charge. But if you don't feel like doing intercourse or you do a little bit of intercourse and then you do other things, it doesn't have to be this very linear step one, step two, step three. You've got to keep going until he ejaculates inside my vagina or we fail. Yes, it wasn't really sex. And if one person wants an orgasm, the other one's kind of done or doesn't feel like one themselves, there's other ways of (laughs) creating that kind of pleasure in a mutually connecting way. What's your advice for women that feel like they are at their most unattractive during this time. They've put on the weight, they've Mm -hmm. grown a beard, their body aches, they're sleepless, their mental health is not in a great place. They're facing really serious emotional conundrums and it's often the last thing that they want to actually try is to be intimate. How do you work through that? How do we help those women? Yeah, it comes down to what is pleasure for you. Yeah. What makes you feel good? You've got to come from that, again, because too often women in this phase are sort of focusing on him and his, his supposed needs. But then what makes me feel good? Women who actually go through fairly smoothly, and look, there's probably luck and maybe genetics and whatnot, but they're generally, in my experience, are generally much better at focusing on what they need. They don't stress themselves out. So it really is a matter of, as women and as individuals, and it is much harder for a woman in our society because we are brought up to dislike our bodies. Yes, exactly. We are brought up not to trust our bodies. Yep. 
And like, you know, as much as I think this menopause conversation is important, part of me is a bit like, here's another thing that's wrong with women. Yeah. Very much what I really want to get across is what's on the other side is fabulous. So even if you have had a really tough few years, think back to when you had babies and toddlers, like they were tough and you got through that. (laughs) We so have. I know we've been talking a lot about people who are in relationships and of course there is single women. Yeah. How do they traverse this path as well. I come back to that idea that libido is life force energy. If you are engaged in life, if you're enjoying life, if you are doing things that make you feel good, then you're going to have libido. And if you feel like some self-pleasuring as part of that, well, go for it because orgasms are lovely things. And if you feel like stimulating your vagina as part of your self-pleasuring, you can. You don't have to. So don't think I've got to be having regular intercourse I've worked with a lot of women who don't have partners. Yeah, of course. But they feel good. I often say like sex is an energy in the same way that like love is an energy. It's that life force. And so when you're cultivating that and feeling good within yourself, working your pelvic floor muscles and just feeling this goodness rising within you and enjoying life, you know, having a bit of self-pleasuring and, you know, maybe going on the odd date or whatever, but you don't have to. I know we talked before about sharing experiences with your partner, being able to talk openly about sex, about what we want, what we need. What about our girlfriends? I mean, sharing our experiences with them. How important is that? I think it's really important. I just wish more and more people talked about sex because everyone's just on their own, in their own little bubble. And if you're confident, you think what you're doing is right. And if you're not confident, you think what's happening to you is wrong somehow. And it's only by talking to other people that we get an insight into other people's experiences. I mean, we're all unique, but we're all the same. This is the human condition. Any part of life that we don't talk about is going to be unknown and scary. But I really believe, being a psychologist, that a lot of the the struggles and fears that we have is the unknown. And if you're going into it thinking, all this awful stuff's happening and it's going to be the end of me. But if you go into it going, okay, I'm going through this phase. There might be these, you know, unpleasant things are happening as part of the phase, but that's okay. I'm moving into this good new phase of life where I'm strong and independent. I've got energy and I'm powerful. Then you're kind of like, okay. And you're talking to your friends about it and your partner and you're like, yeah, this is This is fine. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm. Physically, I know women have spoken about pain when it comes to penetration. Yes. How can couples address this? I know that that can be something, again, for women can be really awkward. Mm -hmm. But how do we broach this subject and then really work together with each other? A lot of it is identifying what is actually going on. Now, one thing that often happens is that it's at the entry point. So a lot of women will start finding that the entry to the vagina, particularly the bottom part of it, like towards your back, becomes more sensitive. So make sure that entry, the angle is is kind of steeper. (laughs) So you're not sort of pushing against the back part of the vaginal opening. And depending, you know, whether you're on top or he's on top or you're side by side, right, just position yourself. As women, you know, we can move our pelvises a lot, you know, because it's often just a few millimetres will change, change the feeling. And very often that's enough to kind of, if the pain's sort of more just at the entrance there. It is so important to make sure that so often women have pain because they're letting a penis come in and they're not ready for it. Yeah. Because as a woman becomes more aroused, all these amazing physiological things happen to us. You know, we puff up with blood. We get as much blood coming down there as men do in their penis, plus, you know, all the lubricants and whole lot of stuff to be able to welcome in a penis and have a good time with it. If you do it too soon, 
you're not ready and it's not going to be good. And if women are in the habit of doing it or thinking they should do it, particularly as you get older and you need a bit more time or a little bit more focus, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Who wants to be having painful sex? No one. Yeah. But if you're forcing yourself, it will get more and more painful. But lubes are fantastic. And try different types of lubes, different lubes for different types of activities or how you're feeling. And just because one person likes a lube, someone else might. I mean, I'd love it if women talk to their friends about, hey, I tried this lube. Oh, really? I've never tried. How'd you find it? Oh, I've had... <laughs> yep, yep. Then that, that helps as well. I don't like women using lube as a substitute for not taking the time to become aroused. A lot of women think that they're taking too long, so they yes. put some lube on, like, bang, right. I should be I should be lubing like that. Yep, I yep. know. And we do slow down, right? Is that true as we age or not necessarily? Not necessarily, but it can. Yeah. As I said, a lot of women find no because they've got all this time and less stress and they're feeling really good. Yeah, yeah. Just like a lot of people will say, oh, actually, when I'm on holidays, no no problem. Yes, that's right. <laughs> right? Because you're relaxed yes. and there's not a lot of stress. Yeah. And really, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. yeah. That's why I'm like, have sex on Sunday mornings. I mean, I'm a Sunday morning girl. Have been for decades, ever since the kids were little. Yeah. Don't do anything on a Sunday morning because it's breakfast in bed, making love, doing the crossword. Relax. The best sex comes from relaxation. As a woman, if you want to have really amazing sexual experiences, and oh boy, we can have amazing sexual experiences, way better than men can. We can have waves of orgasm. We can get into orgasmic states, like way beyond the little peak orgasm that mimics the, you know, the ejaculation that that you get from clitoral stimulation. One of the reasons that I wanted to write the book is because I felt that our partner's needed as much help with menopause as we did <laughs> in the sense of knowledge, you know, knowledge being being power. How important is it for also our partners, female or, or men, to be talking with other people as well? Should our blokes be talking to their bloke friends about menopause and about sex? And Yes. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Many of the problems we have in our society is because we don't talk about it. Yeah. And we don't know what's going on. We have been a a huge proponent, my husband and I, of therapists because we've seen someone for many, many years and taken us through some of the most challenging things. How do we get couples to feel that that is an okay, in fact, it's more than an okay thing to do. It's it's just an important thing to do for sexual wellness and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. It's just bizarre that we think this most important area of life, relating and sexuality, should just be natural and we shouldn't have any help. We have personal trainers, financial advisors, doctors, dentists, accountants, you name it. We have someone to do everything. But this area of life, it's still like, oh, no, we should be able to sort it out ourselves. Yes. There are people who are highly trained in this stuff. There's a lot more research going into uh, particularly relationships now. We know what makes a good relationship. We know the skills that you need to have a good relationship. You know, a lot of it isn't rocket science, but to actually learn it and to have someone there helping you learn it and showing you how you can do it together. A lot of people think going to a relationship therapist is you know, you sit there like before the judge and the therapist decides who's right and who's wrong. It's about you two talking together and the therapist is more like a coach, like yes, helping you learn how to communicate better, helping you understand what's going on for you, helping you understand, you know, what your belief systems are and what's true to you and what's not. People in long-term relationships have had many relationships. Yes. It's just been with the same person. That's right. That's so true. Because there are all these phases. Yeah. If we're talking about women again and and some of the health issues that might arise, you know, the emotional and mental load that can sometimes arise around this time. 
What is some language that feels A, how a woman talks about that to their partner and then how does our partner talk to us? How does our partner support us through that time? It always comes down to first knowing what's going on for yourself. Right. People always talk about having good communication. I'm like, well, there's a really important step before good communication and that's self-understanding. Yeah. If you don't have some sense of what's going on for you, you can't communicate it. You'll either be communicating something that isn't your truth, it's based on expectations or getting annoyed at your partner for not mind reading you or not knowing what's going on for you. We do need to spend time, which means that that whole self-care thing is more and more important. And particularly if you're going through a really difficult period, which, yes, for all of us, even if we have the breeziest menopause, it's still a big change, you know, like just changes in your periods and there are hormonal changes, right? What am I feeling? What am I wanting here? What what am I struggling with? What And having a therapist, whether it's a couple's therapist or your own therapist or just a good girlfriend can be really helpful. Like don't necessarily hold it all yourself. Or if you are doing it yourself, like journal so you can sort of look at what's going on, giving yourself permission. But when you create these spaces for yourself, then you can reflect. But too many people, regardless of gender, just go, 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 go. You know, like we're human doings rather than human beings. We just keep going, keep going, keep going until we die. Life is an experience that's experienced in the moment. So if you're not paying attention to what's happening in the moment, then you're not experiencing life and you're like, oh, all this stuff's going on. And I think that hits a lot of women at this stage in life. It's interesting with humans, often we don't change until we have a crisis. A lot of people sort of have a crisis at this point of life and then they give themselves permission to actually look at what's going on. I know we've talked a lot about heterosexual relationships, Mm. but what about same-sex relationships? Yeah. Is there a difference in how they navigate this change in their relationship? Well, look, if they're both going through a difficult menopause or perimenopause, if they're a similar age, then PMS at the same time yeah, in a way. Right. Look, by the time they get to that phase, they're used to dealing with their, you know, their, their cycles and, and what they're like and probably do have, a lot of them have a bit more of a supportive community as well because often the lesbian community is more open about this sort of stuff. I mean, regardless of what gender your partner is, you know, male, female, gender non-binary, you know, it's all about this journey of life together. So let's just get back into talking about relationships at this stage of a woman's life. Many are parenting teens. Obviously, we're sometimes caring for elderly parents, so we've got the stress of that. sandwich generation. Exactly. We're managing careers. Among all that, we're attempting to keep our relationship alive at the same time. If your relationship isn't that great, there's probably a chance that your sex life isn't going to be that great either. What can women do to just maintain or enliven or capture or regain that connection with their partner? What's what's like something that we can take away from this podcast that a woman can start right now? Well, one of my favorite concepts is what I call relationship vitamins. Okay. And they're just the little micro connections. There's it's the waking up in the morning and looking at your partner, your beloved, I like to use that term, and just yeah. going, oh, getting more of that, oh, you know, have a little cuddle. Not, oh, my God, I've got to get up and attend to all these things. Like just take, it's good for you and your spirit and your health as well to take a moment. And if as a couple, it's, you, you want to be like topping up your love bank regularly. You are looking at your partner as lover. It's an intentional way of looking at your partner And doing tiny little things with touch, with saying nice things, smiling, actually looking at each other. I see it as like you're merging that sexual life force energy with your love. 
and you're sharing that. It's yeah. potent. You know, you send a nice little text during the day with a little emoji. Yeah. You're thinking of your partner. When they come home, you greet each other and say, hey, Dar, welcome home. How's your day? You make sure that at some point, and it might be at the end of dinner when the kids have gone off or maybe later, you sit down, you have a nice chat. Not about the mortgage and, you know, all the logistics of life. You need a space for that as well. Yeah. And I think another really, really important one is your bedroom, especially if you've still got kids and people living at home with you. It's the inner sanctum. So you want to make sure that your bedroom's beautiful, whatever that is for you. Yeah. You want to enter your bedroom at the end of the day and just go, oh, like, I love the end of the day. Come in. It's relaxing. Everything's done. You have left the world out of the bedroom. We're not on our phones. Like you're having this lovely time together. Yeah. And that you can still have all that even when sleeping in separate bedrooms because I yes. know yes. a lot of couples yes. are doing this and they've been hiding it. You come to find out that a lot more people are actually in separate bedrooms oh, because yeah. of the snoring or whatever it is. Yeah, or just because you want your own space. Yeah, but then you can still have that time. Absolutely. Yeah. Or if you yeah. go to bed at different times. Yeah. Like whoever's going to go to bed first, the other one comes and tucks them in. Yeah. You have a nice little bit of time together. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. Even if you have sex, you can then get up and go. Right. If you want to get up. It's the same if you've got separate beds. And lots of people have separate beds. Yes. Yeah. In fact, a lot of people these days have separate houses, especially if you're coming together later in life. There's no fixed way of doing it. Yeah. Other than, again, focusing on connection. Yeah. What connects us? What makes me feel good as an individual? Makes you feel good as an individual? And then how do we relate? Yeah. How do we connect? How do we feel good about us? I know that. Feeling good about yourself mm. definitely goes a long way yeah. when we want to feel good about our partner and about yes. our relationship. Are there any tips for <laughs> embracing our, our bodies, our change, you know, relishing this next chapter? Where do we begin with that if a woman's feeling just dried up and terrible right now? So it's much more important to focus on, well, what makes a quality life? Like what is good? You have a healthy body. You love your body. Like it's a miracle it even exists. Like every day, all day, it's pumping blood and it's sucking in the oxygen and it's doing all. You've got to move away from like what's it feeling like on the inside. And if you've got some aches and pains, okay, that happens. I mean, this might be an overshare, but often when I have sex these days, I get a cramp in my left hip and it's just hilarious. I've got to get up and start stomping on it. <laughs> it's some sort of like cramping like, thing. Mum's had sex again. There's well, that. She's stomping well, around. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just, yeah. you just got to have a little bit of a laugh about yeah. it. I know that for me, one of the best things that came from menopause was, you know, all my life I'd heard self-care, self-care, self-care. Yeah. You got to be kind to yourself. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But I hit that point and I thought, my God, when am I going to actually do it? Yes. Why have I not been doing it? And I, yes. and I do understand. I know my history. Yeah. Though I had been in a battle with my body all this time, my mm -hmm. beautiful body that yes. had been that yes. girl in the, in the bikini and I'm like, why am I still battling myself yes. and not accepting who I am? This is just a waste of my time. Yes, it is. My goodness, Jacqueline, we could do 50 more podcasts with just you. <laughs> all of your knowledge, all of this has just been fascinating and so interesting to me. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no, it's fantastic to have the opportunity to get it out because yeah. everyone needs to hear it. That's exactly right. We all right. need to feel empowered and knowledgeable and... Yeah, thank you. That's it for this episode of Menopause Matters. In the next episode, I'll be chatting with Thea O'Connor, 
a menopause in the workplace specialist about how we can and should talk about menopause in the workplace and the immense value of workplaces that are menopause friendly. HCF believes in being a trusted health partner for members, delivering practical tips and real life stories to help take charge of your health and well-being. For more helpful information about menopause and all things women's health, head to hcf.com.au forward slash women's dash health. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Menopause Matters. It helps more women get access to great menopause insights. I'm Alison Bredado. Thanks so much for listening. If you're struggling and want to speak to someone now, call Lifeline on 13 11 14.